couple of weeks ago, Mike and I were fortunate enough to spend a week on holiday in Italy. Unsurprisingly, we flew out there and back again. And in many ways, our aeroplane flights were unremarkable. Just one of the many thousands of aeroplane flights taking place around the world day by day. But on another level, each and every aeroplane flight is truly remarkable. Think for a moment about all the checks and safety controls made by the ground crew, cabin stewards, air traffic control and pilots prior to departure and during the flight itself. Think of the noise of the engines as you rattle along the runway, wondering to yourself, will this machine actually take off and make it into the sky? Think of the detailed engineering that controls the flaps, the wings, the fuel control, and all the rest of it, that enables the plane to climb, to descend, to turn, and, and so on. Now, I'm not an expert by any means, but the amount of work and effort that goes into making just one aeroplane flight happen is truly remarkable. But at the other end of the spectrum, I wonder whether you have ever seen an eagle in flight. I don't think I've ever seen one in real life, but I can see a few nods from amongst the congregation. But I watched a few clips online this week, and the one thing that really struck me is the graceful, effortless nature of the flight of an eagle. As they soar up into the sky, catching the thermals, there is a real sense of freedom as they swoop and glide. And it's a complete contrast to all the planning, work, and effort that goes into getting an aeroplane up in the air. Some of the clips I saw this week show an eagle's eye view from the air. And that really brought home to me the difference in perspective that happens when you are flying on eagles' wings. Oceans and lakes seem bigger. People and buildings seem a lot, lot smaller. Now, the famous verse we're looking at today from the book of Isaiah uses this idea of soaring like an eagle to point us towards what it means to trust and hope in God. And as we look at this verse this morning, I'd like us to keep in, in our minds the idea about the change in perspective from an eagle's point of view. The verse is up on the screen. It says this, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. As we explore this verse together, we will see how Isaiah helps us to have a fresh perspective on God and on this world and our place within it. So if you've closed your Bible, could I ask you to reopen it to page 725 as we look at this passage together? And there's also a yellow sermon outline in your service sheet that might help you follow where we're headed as well. We're going to ask three questions of this passage as we explore what these words meant to Isaiah's original readers 
and what they mean to us today. We're going to ask, does God care? Who is God? And what good is hope? So firstly, let's look at the opening verse of the passage, verse 27, which I've entitled, Does God Care? Now, this section of the book of Isaiah was written to be read by the Jewish people during their exile in Babylon. So in 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, and the majority of the Jews were carried off into exile in Babylon, away from their homeland, the promised land of Israel, which had been a key symbol of their covenant relationship with God. It's not difficult to imagine these people far away from their home, feeling rejected by God, and crying out in the words of verse 27, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by my God. They felt far away from God, forgotten by him, and they felt that he did not see, or indeed care, what was happening to them. Now, I'm sure that many of us, perhaps even all of us this morning, can relate in some way to how the Israelites might have felt during that time. Perhaps we have gone through times in our own life, or maybe we're going through at the moment, feeling a long way from God, feeling that he has forgotten us, not sure he even cares, doubting his love for us, his children. At these times, it can be hard to pray. We feel we are walking in the darkness, unsure if God is listening at all and unable to connect with him. Our previous memories of being close to God and of answered prayer may feel like a long, long way away. A friend of mine going through a situation like this recently said to me, the hardest thing is that we keep praying, but nothing changes. Where is God? Does he see? Does he care? Isaiah goes on now as we move into verse 28 to begin to offer an answer to these questions in the form of another question. Do you not know, have you not heard who our God really is? And this is where Isaiah begins to invite us to see with a new perspective, as I was alluding to at the start. He uses wonderful, beautiful, poetic language in this verse to paint a picture of who God is and to begin to pierce through the darkness with shafts of light. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Let's dwell on this verse for a moment and consider each phrase in turn thinking about what these descriptions of God might mean to us today. 
So firstly, the Lord is the everlasting God. Our God is eternal, everlasting. There is no time in history, past, present, or future, where God is not present. He doesn't take a break. He doesn't work shifts. He is always there. So whether the darkness in our lives is associated with a painful memory from the past, a very real struggle in the present, or the dread or fear of what might happen in the future, God is there with us. None of these things is outside of his eternal presence. But sometimes we might not be aware of his presence. I wonder whether you're familiar with the Footprints poem, where somebody is looking back over their life with God, and they see two sets of footprints in the sand, symbolizing God walking with that person through their lives. But at the hardest times, the person only sees one set of footprints. And they question God as to why, in those hardest times, he would leave them on their own. Listen to God's answer. My precious, precious child, I love you and will never leave you. At those difficult times in your life, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. God is everlasting. He is always there. Secondly, Isaiah reminds us that God is the creator of the ends of the earth. And this means that there is no place on earth that is outside of his presence and care. So whether you are in the office, at home, at the school gate, in the hospital, or at the graveside, God is there in that place with you. Isaiah continues, God does not grow tired or weary. He has infinite strength. This means that none of our problems are too big or too small to take to him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 tells us to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We can come to God in prayer for anything and everything that is on our hearts. We don't have to struggle on alone. God loves us and longs to hear us pour out our concerns in prayer to him. His shoulders are broad and his heart is full of love. And he is never too busy or too tired for us to draw near to him. So we come to Isaiah's final description of God in this verse. His understanding no one can fathom. When we are caught up in a muddle of conflicting emotion, sometimes we can't even explain how we feel to ourselves, never mind to someone else. But God knows our innermost thoughts and feelings. 
Psalm 139 reminds us, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. Prayer does not always have to involve words. We can pray by simply being with God, resting in his presence, and letting our hearts lie open before him. And God's infinite wisdom means that we won't always understand his ways. It can be hard when we pray persistently for a person or a situation, and it feels like nothing changes. It feels like our prayers are not being answered. It is at these times when it is most important to ask again that question, who is our God? And to be reminded, as Isaiah does here, that our Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. These verses invite us to refocus, to change our perspective, to turn our eyes away from our own lives and onto the God who is present in every time and in every place, who has infinite strength and infinite wisdom, and who loves each of us, his children, more than we can ever truly comprehend. He is fully and completely worthy of our continued trust. Even when we don't understand how he is at work in a particular situation, we know he will never leave us. And at the times when it is hard to sense his presence and it feels like there is only one set of footprints in the sand, those are the times when he carries us in his arms and holds us close to his heart. But this leads us on to the final question I'd like us to ask of the passage this morning. What good is hope? What does it mean to hope in the Lord? Is it simply wishful thinking? I hope things will get better one day. Is it a sort of self-gratifying wish fulfillment? God, give me everything I want in full right now. Neither of those extremes represents the sort of hope held out to us here. In a commentary I read this week, I came across a definition of hope that gives a much better picture of what Isaiah is talking about. To hope in God is to wait patiently and rest trustfully. Let me say that again. To hope in God is to wait patiently and rest trustfully. This sort of hope acknowledges that we can't fix the issue, whatever it is, by ourselves. Even by, either by working ourselves up into a frenzy of activity, trying really hard to solve a problem, or by getting caught up in a web of anxiety and worry. Instead, it acknowledges that God's timing may not be our timing, 
but trusts in his infinite wisdom and care, allowing him to take the weight of the burden we carry. The words of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, hold out an invitation for us to enter into this hope by simply coming to him and allowing him to give us his peace and rest. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what happens when we do place our hope in God in this way? When we do wait patiently and rest trustfully? Let me read the last couple of verses from our Isaiah passage again. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We all do get weary and tired. Even those with the most strength, humanly speaking, have limits. And we all have times when we're physically weak or at the end of our endurance. But God's promise here is that if we place our hope in him, he will renew our strength. That is, he will keep filling us with his divine strength that transforms us and renews our energy so that we can keep on keeping on day by day. It's important to be clear what this verse doesn't mean, though, as well as what it does. So this verse does not promise that we will never be worn out or exhausted. No, it acknowledges that as a reality. Nor does it say that if we are tired, we have failed in some way. God does not promise here or anywhere else in the Bible that we are immune from tough situations if we are a Christian. But what he does promise is that he will give us the strength we need to keep going if we place our hope in him and allow him to renew us. Now, in most of what I've said this morning, there is considerable overlap between what these verses would have meant to Isaiah's original readers in exile and what they mean to our lives today. But before we finish, I'd like to briefly consider what difference it makes for us reading these verses in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus and in the light of the New Testament. At the cross, we see once and for all just how much God loves us, his children, in sending his son to die to take our sinfulness upon himself and restore our relationship with him. And now we have the Holy Spirit living in us, assuring us of God's presence with us through every situation we face, 
giving us comfort when we doubt his love. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 describe the Holy Spirit in two ways. Firstly, as a seal, a sign of ownership that marks us out as God's children. And secondly, as a deposit, a guarantee of the eternal hope that is ours in Christ, life in God's presence for eternity, where the troubles and trials of this world will be no more. I began this morning by comparing the differences between the flight of an aeroplane and the flight of an eagle. Often for me, if I'm honest, and perhaps for some of you too, it might feel that life often has more in common with an aeroplane. What I mean is, taking to the sky requires a large amount of rushing around, making sure everything is in place and nothing will go wrong, quite a lot of effort and a fair bit of anxiety. And it can all just feel a bit like hard work at times. But we have seen a different flight path on offer this morning. It is possible for us to soar on wings like eagles if we fix our eyes on the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who does not grow tired or weary, and whose understanding no one can fathom. As we place our hope in him, waiting patiently and resting trustfully, allowing him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, he will lift us up to soar with him.